kind of inappropriate for us to start with a kind of a, a, a perky, you know, be your best self kind of a message. And I don't know that I'd be very skilled at delivering one of those anyway. Um, not, not a great flow there. Um, I, uh, I was good at them in my 20s and now I'm, now I'm not in my 20s anymore. We actually have no idea how we're going to recover as a nation. The measure of displacement, we're becoming a little aware of, but it is as yet unknown. We don't know the enormity of the destruction that's going to flow from this into the mental health of our nation, into the economics of our nation. And yet again, as Graham and Josh have so beautifully expressed, we are yet again divided in our beliefs about the cause and about what it will take to repair the earth. So in the face of displacement and destruction and division, what is God asking of his church in general and then of us here today? And I'm so thrilled and proud to belong to a church that said, Friday nights, we pray till the rain comes. I'm just so honouring of that, of our leadership. Um, This morning, we gather because we can. We gather because we can and we comfort and console each other as we can. And then we look to the word for answers as individuals and as a gathering. So in preparing for this, I was yet again taken to this scripture that we now know so well, feeling like if ever God has asked this of us, is it not now? Is it not now that we should be praying for the peace and the prosperity of our land? I feel that God's almost been preparing us from the end of 2018 right through 2019 with such a sense that we have been intentionally placed in our families and in our workplaces, in our economics, in our legal systems, in our health departments, wherever we are, we have been placed there quite intentionally by God. Um, We had that series on scent and we followed it on with the way of the exile and those things feel to me like they have brought us to this moment. I think they have been crucial words. Here's my absolute conviction. The word of God works. End of story. It works. There is an answer in the word for every vicissitude of humanity. Uh, It works for all people. It works for all cultures. It works for all times. It works for all weather patterns. It works for all regimes. The word works. So we're going to go to the word today. And I have chosen uh, this scripture and you can see the title that's come out of it. It's at the end of the song, chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. Solomon had a vineyard in Baal Hamon. He let out his vineyard to tenants. Each was to bring for its fruit a thousand shekels of silver. But my own vineyard is mine to give. The thousand shekels are for you, O Solomon, and two hundred are for those who tend its fruit. What's the key thought there for us? My own vineyard is mine to give. And so the title is Winning and Owning Spiritual Real Estate. Instead of us feeling like our faith is something of an uneasy rental agreement with God, we actually are meant to own spiritual real estate. To get to this place takes a long journey, takes seven chapters of Solomon, Song of Solomon to get here. 
but you don't have to think of yourself as, well, I'm a young person, I don't qualify. Not at all. It's not just years that get us here. It's actually the experiences of life. It was the late David Cartledge who said something, and for all I know, I've already quoted it here because I quote it so often, it rattled me so much. It was around about 99 or 2000, and I heard him say, have you had one year... Sorry, have you had 35 years spiritual experience or one year 35 times? That rattled me so much. We are here because we've kept the journey going for whatever number of years um, you have under your belt in God. So let's just get ourselves into the story. Please put your hands up. You don't have to, of course, but let's say you do. Put your hands up. If 2019 was for you a year of some conundrums, some disappointments, some challenges, some pain and suffering, some relationship difficulties, some financial stress, or what still feels like a year of unanswered prayer. So there we are. The fact that we have not thrown a kind of religious temper tantrum and gone home is right here a stake in the ground of spiritual real estate. Anytime the devil doesn't get to permanently rob us of our joy, our gratitude for the gift of life, every time we choose to turn up instead of indulging in a sort of a religious sulk, every time we look at our circumstances and then above our circumstances to the face of Christ, we have one spiritual real estate. And I could also use the word spiritual authority. I think there's a kinship between spiritual authority and spiritual real estate. So any time we emerge from a wilderness or a desert time in our lives, any time we emerge from our conundrums and our disappointments and our challenges and our stresses, and we are still walking with the Lord, we have won and can now own spiritual real estate. Just prior to verse 11 and 12, we have this wonderful verse in 5. The picture that it portrays uh, has captured me for many years. Who is this? Coming up from the desert, leaning on her lover. I love the New Living Translation. It says, who is this sweeping in from the desert? What is very telling to me about this is it's not being asked by God or by us. It's people observing what our life is. And they're going, hang on, hang on, I know their story. They shouldn't be looking so happy. They shouldn't still be owning this God. Look, did he let them down or what? No, for us, we are letting them know that when we go through desert times, we come out still leaning on the one that we love. So pardon that rather lengthy introduction. I have gone to the last page Um, to get the story, which is how I read books. Life's too short to read a book that's going to end badly. (laughs) I read the last page first, and depending on what I find, uh, I have the rest of the book as a point of interest or in the bin. Um, Many years ago, our our eldest son, so I'm, I'm punting well over 20 years ago, he had a new Tom Clancy on his shelf, and, and uh, I picked it up. And fortunately, you know what came into my head came out my mouth, and I said, ah, so Jack Ryan becomes president. He's never read that book. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) 
Jack Ryan becomes president and we get to own spiritual real estate because I read the last page. <laughs> Question, how do we get there? Well, first of all, stating the obvious, the Christian life is not a straight line. We give our heart to Jesus, we get everything right and we shoot on home to glory. That is not what the Christian life is like. Instead, it is far more circular. In Paul's language, it results us living and functioning with ever-increasing glory through an ongoing process of being transformed. So what we do, what the Christian life is, and young people hear this, you're not sitting around, you're not surrounded by people who did the straight line. We tried, it, two weeks I reckon is my maximum of getting anything right for a prolonged period of time. We try, we, you are surrounded by people who understand that it's, circular. We come back into old challenges with new levels of maturity and understanding and belief in the one on whom we lead. Not everything is smooth and forward. Many times life is messy and it's jerky and it's even feeling like it goes backwards. But our truth is the Word tells us that we are doing our Christian life with ever-increasing splendor, depending on your translation. So, Tracking with our beloved in this journey of life, I feel that the song gives us two headline verses which govern our journey, our entire life. Now, this little table may not be easy for you to see down the back, and truly, if it does pique your interest, you can ask me and I'll email it to you. It's a little more involved in the email. When we are tracking with God, and I think the song tells us so much about our Christian life. In chapter one, we're just learning to fall in love with Jesus and we learn about boundaries and we learn about mentoring and discipleship. And by chapter two, we've got a clue that we're pretty fantastic. I am the Rose of Sharon, hallelujah. It was worth the bother, worth the journey. And then we hit some tough times, but we do get to chapter two, verse 16, where finally, after all of that, we can actually say, I know who I am in Christ. This is a very good moment. I know who I am in Christ. But it doesn't stop there. There are some other things that happen, and we're going to look at two of them this morning, that will take us to chapter 6, verse 2, which is not the focus being on I know who I am in Christ, but I know who he is in me. And at that point, we become emissaries in the master's hands. See, if we rush to some sort of a noble I know who Christ is in me, and I've said it with a tone of voice. I didn't mean to say it quite so, you know, thingy, but I did, didn't I? Um, when we rush to that, we're rushing to a forced maturity. It's not a natural maturity, and we end up living by requirement. This sets us up for disappointment, for cynicism, even sets us up for a martyr spirit. And then, equally, when we camp in the place of I know who I am in Christ, where the focus is on me, we're camping in a place of, you know, Jesus just loves me so much, I'm just blessed. Um, and the, all that does is make everyone have to work very hard all around us because our, our immaturity has drained the life out of them. So, what you will see is that the lines that I have in this little chart that I think will help you understand this, they are deliberately not solid. We have to know how to revisit. 
past experiences in order to recalibrate at times. This past year, I would like to think that I kind of now, after decades, have figured out how to kind of live, you know, I know who he is in me and take him with me when I do his business. I'd like to think I'm there, but oh golly, have I learned the hard way that I need to know how to go back to that place of curling up on the lap of Abba Father, Daddy God, and allowing him to recalibrate in me a sense of my own worth. There is nothing to be ashamed of by owning these times in our life where we are actually almost too needy to do much for God. There is no shame in that. There is a foolishness in staying there too long. We need, he's asking us to become soldiers. He's asking us to become emissaries. But he's also saying there are times when you need to be able to come back to past experiences um, uh, in me where you felt so nourished and so cherished. Now, I know I've used female language in that, but I just want to say to men here, you know, I, like I'm not one of the most experienced servants of God, but I've been around forever and long enough to know that the body of Christ is full of men who have orphan spirits. So this is not a female message. I want to say to every man in this congregation, you must know how to allow the Father's arms to encase you when your pain knows no language and when your questions are a louder noise in your head than your answers. Women have had Song of Solomon, brought me into his banqueting house, banner over me is love, 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 love. We've had it for many years. And so most women who've had any length of walking with God have an idea of what it is to actually come aside. I, I, I get a little nauseated by too much female ministry on Abba Father, Daddy, God. It's like, really? Um, <laughs> I've really got to move on in this message. Um, but I think sometimes we have encouraged a foolish dependency on immaturity by that language. We've even called ourselves girls, which is encouraged, it's kind of cute and I use it too, but it's encouraged a sort of a eternal immaturity. But I want to say to all of us, and so I'm saying to men, women I think have had a lot of this, I think men need it too. I think men need to know how to feel vulnerable how to collapse into the arms of God, how to say, actually, I don't have to be the hero today. Today I can actually allow his arms to come right round me and gather me up because the pain is so great. So having said that, let's now quickly look through this because this isn't really the point of the message. I just want to be able to make sure that you get a sense of it. So my beloved is mine, knowing who I am in him. It's about personal glory. But the day comes where we're not so much bothered about feeling okay in the world. It's more about personal sacrifice. Then uh, when we are knowing who we are in him, it's kind of a look at me thing. It's kind of like I'm okay. And I love the Calvin and Hobbes cartoon from many years ago. Calvin would have a way of walking like this. And I remember one cartoon when he was walking along like this, strutting. And then at the end, he kind of collapsed and he went... What's the point of having rocket ship undies if nobody sees them? <laughs> but it's kind of like, look at me, I am okay. But then the day comes where we're less bothered about that and it's more, look at him. 
the next one is very important, to know who we are in any situation. Who am I in this situation? What is required of me? But then the day comes where you really don't care about who you are in that situation. You're more concerned about how is he in the situation and how do I look and talk and sound as his emissary. The next one's not as unspiritual as it looks. It's learning to be a little territorial about the battles that we've won in Christ. And we're kind of wary of giving that up because it's been such a battle to get there. And it's not as unspiritual as it looks. And sometimes I think we should take greater ownership for the battles that we've endured and the places where they've landed us and be very careful about letting that get taken from us. But the day does come where it's like, I really, really, that's okay with me. I can let that thing go now. And uh, I'm aware of the price I'll pay in doing so, but joyfully I will go on assignment for God. Then, knowing who we are in him, we're seeking answers for ourselves. And then the day comes when we have answers for others. We move from the romance of youth to the romance of maturity, which is more about resting in his love. Mistakes are embarrassments when we are young or young in the Lord. They feel like a kind of a personal devolving. You know, I wish I hadn't done that. But um, mistakes as we get older become clues and opportunities to develop insight and wisdom. And finally, in the early stages of, early stages of our pilgrimage, attacks, we take them personally. It's like, how dare you say that to somebody? Don't you know I'm a child of the king? Now, we may not say that to their face, but that's kind of what's going on on the inside. But as we mature in him, attacks become places where we stand. Um, they don't. Being offended is not our instinctive response. It's more like, you know... I know, I know what I want to stand here and attack me if you want to, but I'm not going anywhere. So spiritual real estate, in my mind, is very much in that area there, very much. Uh, not exclusively, but I think you would say more so it's in that column. So how do we get there? There are two chief growth points in the song. The first is a beautiful prayer that I think is a prayer worthy of being prayed at any time in our life. And I love it. It's chapter 4, verses, verse 16. It's a prayer where we relinquish our rights to declare our own destiny. Awake north wind, blow south wind. I've heard what you've said about me, God. I'm, I'm struggling to get it all, but you know what? I'm not going to try and figure it out. I'm just going to say, here I am. It's a relinquishing prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. But the bigger one, and this is getting more now to the point of this message, is found in chapter 3. Um, now, I realise that that print is terribly small. I thought I'd... PowerPoints are my nemesis. Have you noticed that? I find them very challenging. This one looked good on paper. All right, let's read it. One night, as I lay in bed... I yearned for my lover, I yearned for him, but he did not come. There's another translation that says, all night long on my bed, I searched for the one I love. So I said to myself, I will get up, which is highly intelligent, I will get up and I will roam the city, searching in the streets and squares. Um, I searched for him and did not find him. All right, you can read on if you are able to actually read it from where you're standing. All night long, all night long, 
I searched on my bed for the one that I loved. Now, if any of you have shared a bed with anyone, imagine waking up to find the other side of the bed empty. Then imagine taking all night to chase around the pillow looking for them. What is this a picture of? Like, it is hilarious all night long. I've got a relationship with Jesus. I'm not feeling what I used to feel. So what I'm going to do is stay right here and I'm going to throw a little temper tantrum and just run and run around the top of the bed and I'm going to look for him and it's going to take all night. And after I've taken all night discovering that he genuinely is not here, then I will get up. So it's ridiculous. It's hilarious. What makes us do that? What makes us do that? Too often we stay stuck in a past experience with God, hoping that what we now know is all we will ever need to know. We behave like that when we are refuse, we shift from that, sorry, when we refuse to let everything we now know be all we will ever know. And so we're going to show a willingness to do something about that. This coming year at Cornerstone, it's probable that we will be activating the scent teaching and the exile teaching and seeking to do something that will see us reach into the streets around us in a considered and intentional way. And these last 14 months have somewhat set us up for that. Whatever is asked of us will definitely stretch us because God's relentless love knows no exceptions. So I want to hammer this home that every place where we have needed to accept that what we know is not all we need to know and every place where we have released our limited understanding to him, it is right there that we have begun to win and to own spiritual real estate. It's when we start to say, who are you in me? I'm in this situation and I'm employing every technique I've already got nailed. That's pretty much our left-hand side of the table. I'm pretty much doing everything I've always known to do. It's not working, but I'm going to keep doing it all night because you never know one of these moments it might work. And then finally we go, it's not working. I need to know something more about the nature of God. I need to know something more about his reliability. Perhaps in me there needs to be a shift where the focus is not so much on me and my need as real as that is. And like I said, we do need to know how to come back to these places where we've discovered him and all his love and all his comfort. He will always catch us at that point. So don't be ashamed of doing that. But when we come to a place of saying, I wonder if there's another place for me to land. It's a spiritual place. And it's in those places that I believe we can stare down darkness. I used to say about my mother, Satan's learnt not to waste his time, not uh, fighting her prayers. It's because she had a lot of spiritual real estate 
And I'm not suggesting all her prayers were observably answered. I'm simply saying God is looking for some tenacious people who will never stop praying. Some tenacious people who actually do believe the word when it says that he's come to give us life and to give it to us abundantly. Who really believe that God can invade us with wisdom beyond anything we would have otherwise learned when he said, you can ask wisdom from me and I'll give it to you and I won't tell you off because you're ignorant up until this time. These are places where we claim spiritual real estate. So in the face of every conundrum, we are still here leaning on our beloved. Those of you who put your hand up because of disappointment, in the face of every disappointment, you're still here, leaning on your beloved. I'm calling you to recognise the spiritual real estate that you already have and didn't even realise it in those terms. Some of you have not tried what it looks like, and of course we're not talking about attacking people. You've not tried to say, I wonder if I've already run that battle. I wonder if there's already something in me that can rise beyond this thing that always catches me. I believe there's spiritual real estate on this floor this morning that can make a huge impact for righteousness. And that's not a rah-rah 2020 message. It's a logical message. It's Holy Spirit logic. In the face of every challenge, you're still here and you're leaning on your beloved. And in the face of every unanswered prayer, you're still here and you're leaning on your beloved. It's not enough for our Christian experience to be a kind of a rental agreement with God. That's a kind of a transactional faith. Um, And we know so many have walked away from God, have walked away from the church because they prayed the prayer and it didn't work. That's transactional. Is there God saying, will you trust me anyway? I am the Alpha Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the God who is all powerful and all knowledge. And if you will lean on me, come up out of the desert leaning on me, sweeping up out of the desert even with a certain joie de vie, leaning on me. If you will do that, you will be on your way to saying, my vineyard's mine. I don't have a transactional faith with God. God, here I am. There's something that's a produce of my life and you are welcome to it. Regarding unanswered prayer, our nation is burning up and rather than seeking who is to blame, perhaps right now is the time that we need to be people who experience the disappointments and the pain and the suffering And what feels like unanswered prayer, who will then say, I'm going to get up off my bed. I'm going to step beyond what I know. I'm going to face what I don't yet know. I will own the desert. I'll own the wilderness. And when I emerge from them, leaning on my beloved, knowing who I am in him, knowing who he is in me, I will have spiritual real estate that I can give to him for his use. When we have calamity, have you noticed that we, the church, tend to rush to a spiritual ghetto? I think God is saying, are there people out there who are bigger than that? Are there people out there who absolutely don't have to have big, impressive answers? They just need to stay leaning on their beloved. They need to be people who go, there's more we don't know yet. We Pentecostals are the fruit of fresh revelation. It's an incredible thing. We belong to a church system. It's quite a young church system. But it's a church system that availed itself 
that is, the, sorry, the result of fresh revelation. Prior to the pouring out of the Spirit a hundred years ago, there was and still is in some quarters the idea that speaking in tongues was for yesterday and not today. And somebody had an experience and then they let their theology catch up with their experience and now we say the Pentecostal experience is valid. Praise God that woven into the DNA of our church system is a willingness to say everything we know is not all we need to know. And I wonder what that looks like for us. I'm in the middle of this. I'm in the middle of this message. This isn't me looking back saying I'm about to give you a lockdown understanding. I'm in the middle of this. I, I want to know more of what I don't yet know. There are some social situations that 20 years ago I had absolutes about and now I don't. And there are some beliefs that 30 years ago I was adamant about and now I'm not. I wonder if God's saying, and we're not talking about, as Graham said, the unchangeable truths. Dear, oh me, no. We're not tampering with the, with the foundational truths of our faith. We're simply saying, God, is there more you want us to know? I can't wait to see what the end of this year looks like. About two weeks ago, the Holy Spirit just, like when you get something that's out of the blue, you know, stop and put a bit of, bit of spice on that. And out of nowhere, I wasn't, I don't even remember that I was having a quiet time. It was just, behold, I make all things new. Just like that. And I quickly looked it up and, you know, I should have known but didn't that it was in uh, Revelation, but found it. And I thought, okay, because that has been given to me as it has, and because the world is as it is, I feel freedom not to just put that in the realm of eschatology. God, what are you doing? And to that end, I'm activating it. In my prayer journal, I've got a page now, behold, I make all things new, and I've got a bullet point, and it's got nothing next to it yet. Come and talk to me at the end of the year because I just, this morning, ran my hand down that empty page, said, God, fill it up, fill it up. Behold, I make all things new. What is this year for us? What is this year for us as individuals? What is this year for us as a community of believers? May it be that we emerge from it, no matter how grim and glum the stories are that we encounter May we be less bothered about saying, well, of course I understand that it'll be because, and just say, if you lean on me, I know how to walk out of a wilderness still leaning on him. We are, I got a little final picture there. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, team. We are needing to set ourselves for a future that we don't know. And it's quaint and cute and accurate to say, but, you know, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. It's cute, it's quaint, it's accurate. Uh, and I think rather than that posture being perhaps at that very simplistic level, I wonder if God is saying what I'm asking of you, and this is to many of you in this room, own your current levels of maturity Put more stock in situations that you thought were wastage. They were not. They were not. They were not. God has woven through those into you a depth and a reliability of the way you can represent His character. Father, I pray 
that by Spirit you will take the scales off eyes of people here who don't realise their magnificence in you. Lord, there are people here who are already living and have lived on the side of knowing who you are. Perhaps just didn't have the language for it. Lord, let there not be an apologetic approach towards, oh, these things, yes, they did happen to me. Oh, yes, that is, that is definitely a definition of my life. But rather look at that and say, while that may be a reality in my life, what it has worked into me is an ability to stand before the throne room and to declare thus and thus because I have a vineyard that I now own. I've got fruit coming from my life that's come through pain and tears and suffering and it is usable to the Master. There are prayers that I will never stop praying. Never stop praying prayers for healing. Never. I'll never stop praying them. My dad only had one eye and um, from when I was 35 until... He was breathing his last breath. I believed that God could deliver him a good eye. I said to him, to the Lord, while I was standing over my dad, you can take him home with two good eyes. I have no doubt about that. And I don't mind sounding stupid and foolish, but I'm gonna pray those prayers. I'm gonna keep praying those prayers and believe God that he can do what he said he would do. I have no doubt that he has healing and that healing's in the atonement. We don't stop praying those prayers just because they aren't happening right now. Do I have any doubt that God can pull back the heavens and send drenching rain to put the fires out? Not a shred. It's just don't ask me why it's not happening because I don't know that yet. But I'm not going to talk about those things in the realm of what I do know because what I do know is not enough must be people who own the stories of our life and say, God, this thing I paid a price for, let it become as real estate, as spiritual authority. When we exercise authority, we haven't walked that journey. We tend to sound a little abrasive and we tend to sound a little bit um, arrogant and high-handed. There's an incredible humility that comes with having walked the journey and made the mistake and experiencing the attacks and all the other things. There's an incredible humility that comes with finding our way into chapter 6, verse 2. It's not about me, Lord. It's about you. And I want to own and honour a community of believers where that humility seems to be a very strong dynamic. It's woven into the DNA of this church and I own it, recognise it, name it and honour it. We aren't sitting here because of our perfection. While we are sitting here because Jesus loves us very much, we're also sitting here as people who intentionally say, how on earth do we do this thing? of bringing peace and prosperity to our community in the face of things that aren't being quickly or easily addressed by prayer alone. What does it look like? Father, I pray for the person who has easily dismissed their value and 
had taken a posture of, well, I'll just float on home to glory now. I'll turn up and have my coffee and float on home. Lord, remind them of how precious it is to you that they're coming up out of the desert, leaning on you. Lord, we face 2020 as a community of believers with a high, with high grade intentionality. For me personally, this is just me, I'm not making this about you, but for me, I kind of think that 2018 and 2019 were sort of a convalescence for me in a way. It's just been a healing community and it's I've enjoyed it, but I've noticed over the last short time, it's like I've got some curry back. I've got some spirit back. He will always care for us. There will always be green grass. There'll always be still waters. That's his nature. And when we go through the dark times, he will always lead us. That's his nature. But the same God inspired the words, I can run through a troop and lead, leap over a wall. The same God is saying, when you know who I am in you, can we marshal that invincibility and see what it's going to do to the world around us?